listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 144, covering Generations with Brian Lynch. Friends, it's movie time. Woo! Time to do the movies. It's been a while. Well, actually, it hasn't because we did... uh... Yeah, we did into darkness, but apart from that, it's been yeah, it's been a while. We had to had to remind ourselves how we do this, and it's uh, watch the movies and talk about them. Yep. So really, it's the same. Oh, yeah. slow down there, Professor. <laughs> Brian's here. If you can't tell, it's me. Hi, Brian. Brian. Hi. Now, do you, was there a particular reason you chose this one, or did there was only four to go around and, and six of you? So you probably just jumped on the first one before anyone else could get to it. I'm uh, guessing that was pretty much it. I think. I mean, I've got some. Uh, uh, well, like I was talking about uh, with season seven in general, I've got I've got strong nostalgic connections with this movie. It was the first Star Trek movie I saw in the theaters. You know, yep. it was it was my crew up on the big screen. Uh, yeah, right. So you know, I, I I do feel fondly about it, and I wanted to um, watch it and see how terrible it really is, and make fun of it, and destroy my childhood. So. <laughs> Um, this is, and, and I, I stand alone here pretty much not only among our regulars, but also among every Star Trek fan I've ever met as this is my favorite next gen movie. Yep. Yeah, I don't know why. Nope. Just, there you go. And, uh, I stand by that unless, <laughs> unless somehow we watch first contact next week and, and I'm completely blown away and, and I'm wrong. I'm no, I'm not. It's probably you, because you're I, wrong about this. That that's that? why everybody probably disagrees with you because you're wrong about this. Did you did you think mm, about that? No, I, that hadn't really occurred to me. But um, I suppose that's possible. I mean, I've I've been wrong once, I think, before. So uh, yes, about know, Star Trek. It's, yeah, it's it's possible. Yeah, I was. Look, I'm still apologizing about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> right. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Oh, was you were wrong movie. about Khan too. We just uh, we just talked about that. Oh, we will talk about it later. That's the beauty of it. And season seven was better than you thought it would be. Yeah, that one I don't really count. When we were, was... as you were going through, you kept going like, "Yeah, I forgot this one was actually kind of okay." I, I was, I was, but that was more of a misremembering than having an opinion that was completely contrary to everyone else's. That was just that's a good point. I don't know. The <laughs> ones that stuck in my head were like uh, were were masks and Sub Rosa, and I completely forgot that there were some decent ones in between there, like Data's Frankenstein. Yeah, Data that somehow was halfway decent. Who knew? I don't yeah, care. right. Like. <laughs> Speaking of halfway decent, let's talk about <laughs> generations. Good Look, I think I think we can all agree that this was not the worst next gen. Oh, movie absolutely not. No, no, no. Far, far okay. from it. And We've like, got an insurrection and a nemesis on the way. Mm, so we have. But in the meantime, let's uh, and and we do the movies a little differently. We all three summarize, so you may hear some overlap of jokes or plot points or whatever. But uh, this is the best way, other than sort of splitting the movie up in three, which doesn't feel right. We it's... tried to try doing that once, and I don't think it really came together right. No, so this is this is the best way. So you're going to hear some of the same stuff over again. But uh, hey, shut up. Get your own show if you could do it better. Yeah, you can't. Well, maybe you can. Don't show us. We don't want to know. Don't yeah. even try. So, Brian, why don't you first tell us the movie that you saw? I will. <clears throat> Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of a bottle of booze. It's 12-minute mission to fly around during the opening credits and eventually christen the USS Enterprise NCC-1701-B? Yes, it's the maiden voyage of this beauty, and Captain Nervous Nelly is pleased as punch to welcome his honored guests, Captain James Kirk, Captain Montgomery Scott, and Second Lieutenant Pavel Hairpiece. <laughs> <laughs> While on a little show-off jaunt around the solar system, they receive a distress call from the Lakul, a refugee ship uh, transporting slumming character actors from the apparently nearby planet of Eloria, I guess. Though still without a full complement of supplies or staff pending their official launch on Thursday, which is hilarious, the Enterprise B is the only ship in range, despite being about an hour's impulse drive from Earth. Eh, goes with the name, I guess. Assisting in the rescue, Kirk blows up real good, and Chekhov says something stupid and insensitive again, and then is finally gone forever. Scotty promises to light a candle in his memory. <laughs> we fast forward to one generation later, give or take seven years, or plus two if you measure in Enterprise letters. It's been a year or so since we've seen our friends, and here's what's changed. Number one, Picard is sad because Robert and René, who are played by different actors despite just being in photos, have died in a fire. See, Robert, this is what happens when you hate technology, but those smoke detectors look pretty good now. Mm -hmm. Number two, 
Worf has been promoted to lieutenant commander, which gets him several perks, including an extra neck dot, a chair for his station, a sweet bicorn that he doesn't wear through the whole movie for some reason, and apparently even more vacation time because he doesn't do anything for the rest of the film. (laughs) Number three, Data, attempting to understand your human pranks, pushes Bever into the holodeck ocean, annoying everyone. Fed up with not getting jokes, he decides to install Lore's emotion chip, and he has to do it right now before it changes shape again. <laughs> number four, Riker has come clean as the only guy in Star Trek who doesn't like old boats. <laughs> and number five, everyone starts wearing worse uniforms. But the most important at all is that following the expansion of the bridge, the electrical systems of the Enterprise have been tampered with, plunging the ship into darkness. Attempting to find someone to fix it, the Enterprise heads off to the Armagosa Observatory, site of the classic episode, Armas Goes to the Observatory. (laughs) When they get there, they find that the place has been thoroughly wrecked up, and since it was done with terrible, floppy guns, they know it must have been either the Breen or the Klingons. Obviously it's Klingons, they're not wasting their first big movie on the Breen. This seems as good time as any to mention that my spell checker doesn't know the word Klingon, but it does know Breen. What? (laughs) Anyway. When searching the station, they find Dr. Malcolm McDowell, who insists with wide-eyed, scary fanaticism that he must be allowed to return and finish his work. Of course, he's Malcolm McDowell, so he does most things with wide-eyed, scary fanaticism. Anyway, it turns out the whole thing was a Klingon plot, a ploy to kidnap Geordi. As Malcolm kidnaps him, blows up the Armagosa star, and escapes with the help of everyone's favorite recurring villains, the Duras sisters. Hey, at least it wasn't Damon Bach. Picard and Data attempt to discover why Malcolm would blow up the star by going to the planet Arium, and catching the 230 Wonders of the Universe show, eventually concluding that his plan is to change the gravitational pull throughout the galaxy in order to gain access to a strange band of energy that transports whoever it touches to space heaven. Am I watching the animated series? This is totally something they would do. Anyway, Picard and Data work out the next planet where Blue Laser is planning on blowing up the ocean. I mean, I'm sorry, where, um, where Malcolm McDowell is planning on blowing up the sun, and make to stop it. Data is worried about his best friend, Geordi, but Picard assuages his fears by saying that they can hang out in the planetarium and watch the Zekron Cochran Memorial Laser Steppenwolf show. The Duras sisters, when they get to the planet, reveal their ship, which was just cloaked, not phased, and offer to beam Picard down if they can take him prisoner afterward, no takebacks. Picard says, throw in a LaForge, and baby, you got a deal. LaForge, having been stripped down to his dicked oily and tortured again, is immediately <laughs> sent back to work by Dr. Crusher, because that's the sort of thing she does. But the Dora sisters have taped a camera to Jordy's head and spy on the shield data, which allows them to send some torpedoes right through said shields, crippling the Enterprise. The Enterprise sciences them right back, and they die a warrior's death, heading off to Stovacor, where there will be no triples at all. <laughs> the, Enterprise is... the Enterprise is still in bad shape and has to separate the saucer section. Wait, they can do that? And land it on the planet, which promptly blows up as Picard failed to stop the missile from blowing up the sun, which is a thing that makes no sense. But Picard's still alive. He's just in the Nexus, a heavenly realm where all of your deepest fantasies come true. What are Picard's fantasies? Being married to a perpetually annoyed-looking woman with four little kids. That seems in character. They're having a traditional Dickensian Christmas carol for Jean-Luc, just like they have in France, with plum pudding, crackers, and a plump Ensign sad sack roasting in the oven. (laughs) For further context for that joke, please follow at Ensign Sad Goose on Twitter. The Nexus quickly realizes that all of this is stupid and makes another fantasy for him. A fantasy where he saves his beloved crew, where he teams up with Starfleet's greatest captain and gets his blessing, where he continues to have increasingly implausible adventures and make out with Donna Murphy and act like he looked like Tom Hardy when he was a kid. <laughs> Picard never leaves the Nexus. We'll see little hints of this from now on. Worf comes back to the ship all the time for no reason. Wesley will turn up in a Starfleet uniform, just like his mentor always hoped for him. Troy will claim he's, she's never kissed Riker with a beard, which we know is true, but Picard doesn't. But they're all dead, and this is just an illusion. Perhaps he... Oh, wait, no. You know what? Troy was on Voyager. I forgot about that. Okay, never mind. A bunch of silly stuff happens, and the day is saved. Whoopee! <laughs> hey, you forgot to mention Whoopee until the very end there. <laughs> I did. <laughs> very nice. All right, Matt, your turn. Hey, it's the Enterprise B, piloted by clearly out of his depth, Captain Harriman, and being toured by our old friends, James Tiberius Kirk, and his old friends, Spock and Bones. I mean, Scotty and Chekhov. Huh. So I guess Kirk has been returning Chekhov's calls over the years. Color me surprised. <laughs> anyway, so the B is taking a leisurely stroll of the solar system when they come across an admittedly cool-looking energy ribbon with some spaceships full of Guinan people in it. The Enterprise and her 
reasonably good crew, save a reasonable amount of people. But alas, Captain Kirk is swept out into the depths of space, where finally, after 30 years of adventure, he is at last no triple at all. Later, in the future, the Enterprise-D is hanging out and very slowly changing into their new DS9 Season 1 uniforms. Very slowly, like over the course of a month. <laughs> anyway, Picard receives bad news when he finds out that his brother's sense of smug self-satisfaction has burned down the family vineyard. <laughs> so there's some serious JLP tears into Deanna's bosom. Lucky bastard. And then an observatory is, is attacked. Inside said observatory, the crew finds Malcolm McDowell, scheming. He beats up Geordi and frightens Data and then kidnaps Geordi to a nearby Klingon ship where the Dura sisters are hanging out. Awesome! Uh, the Klingons contact the Enterprise and exchange Geordi for Picard, and then they beam Soren, or Malcolm McDowell, and Picard down to th some shitty desert planet so that Soren can build a laser to summon the admittedly cool-looking energy ribbon from before. Also, this will blow up a nearby star, but, you know, fuck it. The Enterprise fights the Klingons, and both their ships blow up, and also the Enterprise crashes. Back on the planet, Picard's plan to defeat Soren using carefully thrown rocks fails, and the two are swallowed up by the energy ribbon. Everyone on the Enterprise dies. Picard awakens in a Dickensian Christmas carol surrounded by children clearly invented by a 60-plus-year-old man who has never had to change a poopy diaper, mm -hmm. and the ghost of Christmas Guinan appears to tell him that he's in the Nexus, a magic space thing that lets you be happy forever for some reason, because that's how space works. Picard uses the Nexus's satanic magic to take him to Captain Kirk, who has been chopping firewood for seven seasons of TNG. Picard convinces Kirk to come back with him to the planet and help him beat up Soren, which they do. And then Kirk falls off a bridge and a 16-ton weight falls on him. The end! <laughs> <laughs> now me. We open with the christening of the NCC-1701B, two Enterprises before the one we came to see and one after the one that got decommissioned at the end of the Undiscovered Country. In attendance for this auspicious occasion is Captain James, the R is for T. Kirk, and his two best friends in the entire galaxy, Montgomery Shuttle Thief Scott and Pavel, remember when he got shot over and over again in that Western episode, Chekhov. Best friends. <laughs> Starfleet decides it'd be a good idea to pull Cameron from Ferris Bueller in charge of this Enterprise, which almost immediately leads to disaster. While they're taking their show-off for the press tour of the solar system, a distress call comes in, and somehow the unfinished Enterprise is the only ship in the sector. That's Sector 001, mind you, the one that has Earth in it. So they rush in to save the day, encountering some wibbly-wobbly anomaly-wobbly that we've all decided to call an energy ribbon. Circumstances call for someone to rip off their shirt and be a hero, and no one wants to see Cameron do that, so Kirk volunteers. Then he gets sucked out into space into the energy ribbon where he'll be... Wait, is he actually dead? No time! 78 years into the future, we see Worf getting promoted on a holodeck that can suddenly display locations that don't look like Paramount backlots. But no time for this either. Somebody's attacking an observatory. My guess is Professor Plum with the lead pipe. <laughs> Meanwhile, Picard has gotten some horrible news about his brother Robert. Apparently he and his nephew René of Les Burned and Les Fire. Sacre bleu! <laughs> so the captain is a bit of a dick to everyone while they investigate the goings-on at the observatory. And then a star explodes. Turns out the energy ribbon is some kind of magic heaven portal, and evil Malcolm McDowell is blowing up stars to change his course so he can resume knock-knock-knocking on the Nexus's door. Some stupid crap happens with Data and the emotion chip that we very clearly said was non-functional last time we saw it, and some further stupid crap happens with Geordi being kidnapped, tortured, and then returned to the Enterprise. Picard ends up on a planet trying to convince the evil Malcolm McDowell not to blow up stars, essentially by repeating, Oh, come on, stop blowing up stars. But he's too late. The Nexus is here, and they both get sucked in. Also, the Enterprise explodes again, much to Matt's obvious delight. God damn it. Inside the Nexus, Kirk and Picard meet for the first time, bonding over the thing they have in common, horses. Remember all those times Kirk talked about riding horses? I mean, he just never shut up about it. So it's nice to see that finally pay off after 30 years of getting to know the character. Picard convinces Kirk to leave the Nexus to stop evil Malcolm McDowell, once again employing his oh-come-on tactic. Picard Kirk saves the day, but dies again. And Picard turns to the Enterprise to find out that it's been wrecked, even though Riker tried his best to put the thing up on cinder blocks and run it in reverse before he got it back. It's fine, though, he says. I'm sure they'll give us another Enterprise, a hideously ugly, perpetually dark Enterprise that we can use for three more mediocre adventures. <laughs> Bitter much? No, not at all. Like but this... it's like I said, none of these movies are great. No, like we, we will disagree about which is dark. the best one. But really, none of these are, are fantastic when, you, when it comes down to mm -hmm. it. Unfortunately, I like this one though. It's I think fine. Okay, it's, well let's hear. Right. Let's hear. Let, let's hear the arguments against it. I don't know. It just feels small. It feels small. It feels cheap. Yeah, I, think, it, I mean, it, if I get, it, I can actually it's start really with my, cheap. I can start with my bad thing if you want, because that's part of the, okay, the cheap looking. Uh, it's the uniforms. Uh, like Matt said, they change 
very, very slowly into um, Deep Space Nine uniforms. They and do. They don't look good. They look ugly on film. Like, they, they are not, like, the on film, you need a little more detail. You need a little more substance. Those are great TV uniforms. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you, you need a little something more uh, if you're going to put it on film. And that's why the regular uniforms, you know, being a little more complex, look better. And they also, they don't fit because they didn't actually make them for anyone. Um, right. As you we pointed out that a couple of people were wearing people's uniforms from yeah, DS9 um, that yeah. actually borrowed. Picard got one, like, actually tailored. But basically what it was was they designed fancy new next generation uniforms. Um, mm-hmm. And then they ran out of money to make them and they were also kind of ugly. Um, ah. they were what they were was they were like short jackets, kind of like the dress uniform, only they ended at the uh, uh, like at the waist. Um, and then they had colored collars instead of uh, black collars, uh, and mm. the rank stripes on the sleeve, like the classic series. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was interesting, but uh, they ran out of money and decided not to make them. But then they decided to just have them wear the DS9 uniforms, but they were quite literally wearing the DS9 uniforms because. Riker was wearing one of Cisco's uniforms, and right. because he's got a good three inches on Avery Brooks, um, yeah. he had to roll up the sleeves really awkwardly, and it fit weird on his chest. And, no, they, uh, they didn't look great, but I, I don't know. I, that just seems like a small detail to me. It doesn't, but it was also like, Data's makeup. They didn't adjust it for the big screen. Um, the, a lot of the sets looked cheap, and I'm pretty sure that's because you said it was because they kept flying right next to stars. Well, but, it... it it it's no they were they spent pretty much the entire time we're on the enterprise they're right next to a star and but so I the still lighting... think the reason they turned the lights off the whole time was because the TV sets looked cheap and they well, that to... that might have been the practical reason yeah. sure um, I don't know See, again no, I think you're... I think it didn't look fantastic set and costume wise I think it did look fantastic special effects wise. See, now, your bad thing is actually my good thing. I loved seeing the Enterprise-D on film, or in HD in this case. It was great to see it on the big screen in 94, and it's great to see it in HD now. I mean, the you get the, the familiar locations. You get, like, the bridge, 10 forward, engineering. And then you get to see the cool stuff that, that you couldn't see on a TV budget, like mm-hmm. like um, stellar cartography. Oh, yeah. Which is this giant star map that covers, like, it's it's this huge, like, it's as big as, I would say, one of the cargo bays, let's say. Mm-hmm. And you just get this huge projection of all the stars, and you really get an idea of, yeah, we're mapping space. Space does not fit on a map. Mm-hmm. It fits like on a map need... in a room. Yeah, this Ooh. giant thing that can close up and, and draw yeah. lines, and and that was really cool. Or like the um, the holodeck sequence, the, uh, the the when we first get to the uh, 24th century, where they promote Worf, and they're on a the nautical enterprise, like uh, out at sea. Yeah. Like it, it, it really looks like what the holodeck should look like instead oh, yeah. of like a fucking back lot. I have and, to say, I, I do wonder why they didn't just, if they needed to make, like, a big, like, all-encompassing room, why they didn't just put stellar cartography in the holodeck. Maybe they did. Yeah, actually, yeah, I mean, we don't see the end. We don't know that. It could be just a holodeck. Yeah. But, I mean, one of the reasons, seriously, like, putting aside my, you know, our generations versus first contact, you know, mm-hmm. losing argument that I'm in. Really, one of the big reasons the other movies don't do as much for me is because we leave all those familiar locations, all these places where these guys live. And we go to these this whole other set of sets that mean nothing to me. It's just like, I might as well be watching an episode of Gargoyles. Look, the whole cast is reunited for some reason unrelated to Star Trek. Hmm. <laughs> that's just, that's how it feels to me. Oh. I, I just, we never get a chance to, to get to know the Enterprise-E. Suddenly it's just, oh, this is the Enterprise now. It's all ugly and terrible. I, I like the D. We spent seven years on it. But I like, they got a big round bridge with all those people looking at Picard. And nobody else gets a chair anymore. I can't even picture it in my head. I haven't seen those movies in a while. Yeah. I just know I'm I'm not. Uh... Whereas in this case, they had an extra chairs because Worf got to sit down. Oh, Worf did get a chair. Yeah, well, his yeah. knees are finally starting to cave in. So, well, as I pointed out, when he climbs out of the ocean in the beginning, for some reason his knees are all bloody. So, yeah, apparently he really hurt himself falling off of the. Uh... That's the only thing I can think. I doubt they yeah. did that on purpose. So there's that there's that whole sequence where. He's supposed to jump up and catch the badge of office, they call it. Yes. Mm-hmm. We call and it a hat. Catches, well, right. As I said, a sweet bicorn hat. Right. And um, and he catches it, and then uh, Riker says, remove the plank. And he falls in, and, and Picard's, uh, no, that was retract a plank. Whoops. <laughs> hey, <laughs> that was, stinker. That was great. Yeah. Was, that whole, then, I like that whole promotion scene. Yeah. yeah, that was fantastic. And you get an idea, like like I say, like the holodeck 
what it's supposed to be like. Yeah. Because it really looks like they're at, on a location because they are. I also, I kind of like seeing the bridge crew having fun with each other. Yeah. Just hanging out. It's a nice, it's a nice follow-up to the finale where, you know, we've reasserted that these guys are trying to, to feel more like a family yeah. and they, they spend their time together. And yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, and then Picard's actual family dies and he bails on all of them. Well. <laughs> Renee. Sn sniff you jerks later. <laughs> but then there's the whole bit where Data pushes Bever in, as as one of you mentioned in your summary, <laughs> and everyone's horrified because it's not funny. I thought that was hilarious. It was hilarious. He just suddenly deadpan, just like shoves her in the water. Yeah, that's funny. It's yeah. the only thing she gets to do for the movie. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Well, and it, apparently uh, failed to remove his emotion chip. Right. Probably Which because is all that's mentioned Jordy's job. Yeah. Right. And oh, and then being tortured. Data, who's obviously suffering from robot mental illness, she just sends him right back to duty because, like oh, I yeah. said, that's she has no idea when somebody's fit for what they're doing. <laughs> You're Poor probably guy. fine. Poor guy can't control his emotions. Yeah, you know what? I've been there. Yep. It's rough. <laughs> you don't just send him back to work. You, no, you, you try... get him pills. Yeah, exactly. Lots of pills. Yep. She's like, I can't take this out. Well, I guess this is the new paradigm we're working with. All right, back you go. <laughs> Jordy's like, oh, God, I cannot <laughs> I, deal with bad joke data. I cannot deal with Mr. Tricorder again. Oh, well, and actually, no. we might as well just get to my bad thing then, because the whole data subplot to me is just super contrived. Yep. The fact that the emotion chip didn't even work when we when we left, you know, when we last left off, mm -hmm. which I mean, look, you know, we, we say this over and over again. We try not to nitpick about little stuff, but that's a pretty big plot point. If yeah, we're, pretty If much. we're expected to remember that the thing exists then we might also remember that it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. That's that's not too much of a, you know, of a fanboy nitpick, I think. Or that it was smaller than a pinky nail, and now it looks well, that, like a G.I. Joe backpack. Right. <laughs> also that. But then th that leads to Data's endless mugging and milking. Ugh. Just constant, you know, look at that. Hey, listen, he up, took those lessons he learned from Joe Piscopo to heart. I guess. <laughs> just, Jesus. Just think... Just thank God we didn't get to see his. Uh, just thank God we didn't get to see his Jerry Lewis impression. Oh, yes. The thing is, despite myself, and I, I hate myself for this, I laughed at quite a lot of Data's stupid comic relief. But then it, it takes me out of the story. Is the problem? Mm. I did like Mister Tricorder. Mister Tricorder was funny, and I, there, um, there were a few things that I thought were the, the life form song was life, cute despite being stupid. What worries me about Mister Tricorder is that I used to do that with my Tricorder. <laughs> And by used well, to, I mean yesterday. And by used to, I mean I'm doing it right now. Isn't that right, Mister Tricorder? That's right. So you're you're really doing you're you're doing more senior wences than you are. <laughs> yes, senior card. <laughs> senior... senior card games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's have a look around the scene of the crime, Bob. Scanning for life forms. <laughs> Welcome to the Hammer Prize. <laughs> <laughs> it's pleasing to have me. This is the Enterprise 4G's. <laughs> I got full bars. <laughs> now we're now we're just morphing into Frank and Sandra. Then. That's right, fellers. <laughs> so Matt, why don't you tell me a good thing about this here movie? Uh, I actually like uh, Kirk and the Nexus quite a bit. It's something I I thought like I used to think I hated a whole lot, mm -hmm. and it sort of dawns on me that it's like it starts with him in this quiet, weird sort of domestic situation where he's chopping wood and. Making mm -hmm. eggs for some girl that we are all well acquainted with. It's yeah. his best and gal, Antonia, and he's perfectly happy to just stay there. And then he jumps on a horse, and then he jumps his horse over gorge and realizes that there's absolutely no risk in the Nexus, and that it's you know this is not how life is supposed to go. Says a lot about Kirk and a lot about old Kirk. Well, and it's also very similar to me, and I'm sure they probably borrowed intentionally to the cage. Mm -hmm. Where Pike is in this perfect world, and then he realizes that nothing is real, and he wants out. Yeah. Until he gets paralyzed, I, and then he wants until back he in. Gets, yeah, exactly. But so wait, now that now turn, that Kirk is buried under a bunch of here. rocks. What's up? So it turns out it sucks out here in the real world. Yeah. 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 Let me back in. What a shock. No, I want to go I'm, make out like, with Yvonne Craig again. <laughs> my, my thinking was, when I was a kid watching this was always that, like, he wouldn't want to go chop woods and, or chop wood. Like, he's fucking Captain Kirk. He'd be out there looking at new shit and having yeah, sex. Yeah, and it takes him about five minutes to realize Yeah, he'd exactly. Be out, he'd be out there, that way. Yeah, right. over there in space. Second first star to the, the right. Or to the right. <laughs> no, he already went to the second star to the right. Now it's first star to the right. He backed up. 
Yeah. Third star. Go to the stars on the left this time. Captain, <laughs> you are giving me terrible directions. Not that That's there's not anything new works. there. Now, um, the thing is, all of all of Kirk's fantasy stuff, it really ends up being Shatner's fantasy stuff. Yeah, yep. that's irritating. He's, he's the one that wishes he could have married Antonia, I bet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's got the dog, and he's got the, the horse, and it's just all very... Stuff we've never seen Shatner or uh, Kirk want. Yeah, like when Shatner... I, Shatner we, talking about it, we could never see Kirk owning a dog. At least not for when, very no. long. When Shatner and his like... wife go to the premiere, she's like, okay, who's Antonia? Yeah. He's like, the horse. <laughs> <laughs> So he's cooking. He's cooking eggs for the horse. Yeah, yeah. Horses love eggs. It's good for I the don't coat. Know, Matt. I don't. I don't know horses the horse like you do. Coat. Apparently. See, this is. I guess this happens sometimes. You don't realize that someone you've known for years and years is really into horses. What you've never heard the phrase "know your enemy"? Uh, apparently not. Are you my enemy? I thought you were my co. No, I know about horses because I hate them. Oh right. Yeah. So you do. I you know a lot of jousters, so I'm not surprised when anybody I know turns out to be into horses. Well, the state that I'm from, the the state sport of Maryland is actually jousting. So uh, really, so there's that. That has nothing to do with anything. I just like pointing that out. Man, how great would it have been if Picard and and uh, Kirk were on their horses, and then Kirk was like, "Fine, I'll go with you if you can defeat me in a contest of the lance." <laughs> and then they just joust for it. But now instead, Shatner just is to show off his fancy horse dancing. Yep. yep, you can walk a horse sideways. That's impressive, Ooh. right? Probably if you're into dressage. If you're an, equ- if you're an equestrian. Right. Last Laura, if apparently if you live in an aquarium. Knows. Right. Um, so what's your uh, good thing, Brian? Uh, my good thing is Malcolm McDowell. Um, yes. As I uh, have, have, I think I might have noted before. I know I noted today, but we won't report to them. Um, villains in Star Trek movies really aren't that good. No, um, none of them. Even the, in the very best movies, the villains. Yeah, even are like lame. this Khan was like really just he was not a very good villain. But what no, it is is revenge. they get really basic villains who are just sort of like the evil equivalent of the MacGuffin. They're there to move the plot along, to get the themes out there. And then they hire very good actors to play them. Um mm-hmm. you know, Christopher Plummer, Christopher Lloyd, Ricardo Montalban, and Malcolm McDowell is just in the dynamite tradition of a Star Trek villain. He's a very classy, very good actor. Um, but not somebody who's so, you know, remarkably famous that he'll distract from the plot. And he's able right. to just go out there with his eyes all akimbo and <laughs> his craggly face and his little spiky grandpa hair. And Which, uh, I'll say this, uh, me and Matt both agree, uh, he's kind of hot. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. This is before he's he gets old. really old and turns sort of doughy. Yeah, right. but this like was like Malcolm uh... McDowell when he just looked like he'd been carved out of granite. Yeah. And and that he just got out of bed. Yeah, well, yes. That, <laughs> always... that adds something to it as well. His hair is always sort of standing up, but not in one uniform way like he made it that way. Just sort of sticking up, and he's always unshaven. Malcolm got that Don Johnson Mal- look. Malcolm McDowell ages like a TV character. Because he starts well, out looking like Alex from Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. And then turns into a completely different person. Well, yep. we, we, then... we, we said already that N- Nimoy did this, too. That, like, he has very distinctive phases of his life where it's like yeah. he didn't change he just like leveled up like a pokemon yeah it's like he it's like he it's like he grew armor <laughs> like on his face right cragged him up well i mean i i think he was good what i do like is his whole motivation is entirely i'm getting a thing for me and he's not trying to conquer the universe he's not trying to overthrow starfleet he's trying to get back into this thing yeah okay, i've got and to get mine he doesn't care if he blows stuff up in the process, yeah. and I kind of like that as a, as a villain's uh, it's, motive. Yeah, it's I've not got the thing I want, and I'm going for it. Yeah. yeah. I don't care if you're in my way, I'm going to get my thing. Yeah. And if, if he hadn't gets... died, I'm sure he would have gone off and tried to find another way to get it. Yeah, yeah it shows up every that... 80 years, his people are apparently immortal. Yep. Yeah. Well, Guinan's been alive since at least, like, before Mark Twain time. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, she was already fully grown at that point, so she's got to be at least... 30 years older than that, if if not more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. She, they, she's, he's, he's got plenty of time Maybe to Maybe that's to why they were so fucking close to uh, to Earth. They were picking up Guinan, finally. Okay, well, no, that makes sense. Those, those okay. ships were... Those ships were refugee ships. They had been, they had been, uh, you know, driving for a really, really long time. Mm. It's not that they were, the the planet was close to Earth. It's just that that's where they were evacuating to, and it took them a long time to get there. Well, let's face it, Guinan's people are from the planet of very ill-defined backstory. So, well, that all is we true. know yes. is the Borg 
and that's pretty much it. And no, they're a race of listeners. They're, oh they're yes, also race. they're a race of listeners, and they're they, a race they, of flat hat owners. Yeah, they all like their flat hats. Malcolm McDowell actually specifically mentioned that in him. My people are called, said to be a race of listeners. Yep. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. No, they got a name in this movie, and and uh, because of their special time sense, they're called DeLoreans. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, makes total sense. Well, no, because they're Elorians, because oral means listening. Right. Yeah, because that's clever, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Could be worse. All I know is that if you get Whoopi Goldberg up to 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Could be, it could be worse. It could be the 60s where they decided that alien planets would also be named after Roman gods, because why not? Yeah. Yeah, and, those, and those people known, call themselves Vulcans. They know how we name planets, right? Yeah. Known locally by the people who speak English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, let's let's not get into all that. Kronos. I got uh, uh, I got about half an hour on the uh, Diane Dwayne what the Romulans call themselves versus what we call them thing. Oh yeah, the Rihansu. Yeah. What? That. Oh yeah, that's way worse yeah. than Romulan. No wonder they don't press the issue. I don't know. We never really get to know the Romulans very well. Anyway, we talked about this in Next Gen where they're built up to be this great force, and then they just kind of forget about them for most of the series. Yeah, we get to see well, a Romulan with hamburger face in this movie. Uh, that's um, true, we do. Yep. Green green hamburger face. Yep. Sort of their half-assed attempt to make it look like it wasn't the Klingons. Right. What if they just so have a dead Romulan lying around on their ship? Yeah, all Klingon ships have one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's good luck charm. It's like it's like the figurehead on the head of a uh, of, of, an, of an Earth uh, sailing ship. They usually have it dangling from the rearview mirror. Right. Like so much fuzzy dice. Yes, exactly. So right. much uh, fuzzy dice. <laughs> what was your bad thing, Matt? Uh, well... Conversely to my other thing, uh, I really dislike all of the stuff with Scotty and Chekhov at the beginning. Yeah, me too. There's, it, it's no secret that they were supposed to be Spock and Bones, both of whom refused to come back because they couldn't see any reason to come back. Because right. Nimoy's got better things to do than Forrest Gump yeah. doesn't give a care. No, I remember him, there, there's a line on Memory Alpha where he's talking about how I I will come back if I ever, you know, I will come back to the character of Spock if there's if I ever find you know, something worth bringing him back, and this was not yeah, that. If, if the whole new cast wants to call me and ask how to get out of a problem that they can't fix for their own damn selves. Mm-hmm. Sorry, still a little bitter about that. Well, anyway, I think in that case it's more I'll come back to the character of Spock if I don't have to leave my living room. Well, yeah, Oops. that's a fair point. And anyway, it's it's really obvious that it's not them. And it's not just because Chekhov goes off to be a doctor for some reason, although <laughs> it that's really obvious. It's just, it's such an obvious rewrite, probably done during an afternoon. Listen. Yeah, they probably did find and replace yeah. Scotty for Spock. Yeah, it's like, listen, no offense to James du- James Doohan, but Scotty and Chekhov are not that important. <laughs> I like that you're not worried about insulting Walter Koenig. Hey, no offense to James Doohan. incidentally, no. the only person who might possibly hear this and get insulted by it. <laughs> Here's a here's a quick side note. We're looking at uh, doing panels at other uh, conventions. James Doohan panels? In the near future, yes. Looking at, at James doing some panels in the near future. <laughs> well, we had one at Emerald City. We're hoping to have one at Emerald City this this next year. Yep. And then I was looking at maybe Dragon Con, possibly. Oh, damn. And, and Flonk was saying, uh, we better get in there now, because the guy who runs the uh, panels uh, is Garrett Garrett Wang? Wong? Does he say it Wong? Wang. Well, it's, pronoun- it's spelled Wang. He says it right. You say it Wong. Uh. <laughs> Ensign Harry Kim. He's the guy in charge, and Flong said, "You better, uh, you better get in there now before you ruin your chances." He says, "Because in two more years, if that guy listens to your show to see what you're all about, he's going to say, yeah, fuck you.'" Oh shit! He's like going to say idea. that now. It's not like we're quiet about not wanting to watch Voyager. I'll say yeah, this right like... now, and not only because I want to suck up to the guy to get you guys a panel, but I like the idea of Harry Kim. I think he was badly treated by the. I think the entire Voyager cast has are are. It's a big group of people who were good ideas for characters that never got fleshed out well yeah we spent an entire supplemental rewriting that show like yep. the, the core principles of it are pretty cool yeah, no, the idea a, of like a, a young hotshot you think they could at least throw him a damn field promotion at some point seven years that guy should not still be an ensign speaking of people from voyager actually uh Tuvok oh yeah Tuvok was in showed this. up here in uh on the enterprise b briefly yep. for some reason um yeah, no, he's he's one of the only young people in the Enterprise B. It's him, yeah, and, the rest of the him and Sulu's B daughter, and everybody else is pretty uh, pretty crusty. Right, just three oh, yeah. bald guys. That um that bit with Sulu's daughter is actually the only thing about that opening thing that I actually like. Well, I think that's what plants the seed in Kirk's mind, where he's like, "Oh God, yeah, mm-hmm. I could have had a family." Sulu found the time, yeah. and he's a captain. What the <laughs> hell? 
Oh, man, I should have married Antonia. Who's Antonia, Captain? You know, my best girl that I'm always talking about all the time. I don't think you ever mentioned her. Yes, I have. Shut up. Which one was she? Well, I mention it all the time to my real best friends. Where are they exactly? Shut up. I'd like to know the in-story reason why Spock and and, uh, and Bones couldn't be there. Yeah, like we know the we know the the reason the actors didn't, but uh, they're secretly I'd going camping together. Yeah, off enjoying marshmallows together. Mm-hmm. So I really just think though, I think it's nice that we finally got we finally ditched Jim, don't you? And then it turns out all awkward because they realize that the only thing they really have in common is that they're both friends with Kirk, and they're like, yeah. "Shit, we really should have gone to the Enterprise B launch." <laughs> uh, how did that turn out? Oh, good. Here's the news reports. Oh, shit. All right. Oh, God. Oh. It was well covered in the media, though, because <laughs> mm. of all those reporters. Yep. With their all fancy right, so... futuristic technology. Giant, mm. giant futuristic technology. Strapped to your head. Because that's how the future works. You strap stuff to your head. Yeah, and stuff gets bigger. Yep. So, okay, seriously, though. I liked this movie. I liked the theme of uh, the the one thing that brought the two captains together was that they they thought about this life that they couldn't have because they chose to be captains. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a good sort of uh, like putting a bow on Picard's gradual arc through the series that he didn't he hated kids, then he kind of liked kids, mm-hmm. then he wished he had kids. Like it was it was a nice progression of that. And I, think- I thought character wise this was a good movie, so I'm really not sure why people are so lukewarm to it. So you know, I want to hear what think, you guys I think. I think family is a good theme for it, it because while the original series was very much individual driven and to a lesser extent his two friends, as we've said mm-hmm. repeatedly on the show, um, the other one's more of an ensemble. So even though Picard and Data were the only people that got to do anything, you did still get a sense of the entire ship having something to be about. Yeah. You know, Riker still got to, you know, do some stuff. Jordy got to do some stuff. Got Beverly to, got pushed in the water. Yep. Worf, got to, Worf got to sit down. Hey, it's Beverly's right. fault that we have hammy data now, so... That's true. One more thing to blame her for. But I, I, I'm really curious to hear you guys' thoughts on why this wasn't a good movie. Like, I... I, I just... I think it was a nice continuation of the of the series. I'll say one... I, here's one thing. I don't think it was explained very well. I think there's a lot in there that relies on a lot of background. They sort of... Maybe because they were coming so fresh off the end of the series... They assumed a mean? lot of knowledge on the part of the audience. How so? I feel like, well, I mean, stuff like well, the Lurf and Jator appear out of nowhere. Just for well, that's time. true. And the, yeah, I I, I'm not that. even sure they they mention their names once, but they, they, don't say, get they say one of their names once. Yeah, <laughs> but then they, they don't. Do they even say Doras or? No. But here's the thing. No. Who cares? But, Let's just assume that there are a couple of Klingons that uh, that, that Soren's working with, and it doesn't really matter. Well, that's the thing, but they, they clearly, like, it's like, oh, these people were supposed to know. Or, you know, the the uniforms, again, is a good um, uh, way of yeah, but that's such a, no- that's well, such no, a no, minor detail, though. In a movie, because uh, for us that were watching the show, then we could go like, oh, yeah, you know, just like in season three, they're segueing out the old uniforms, they're put, uh, rotating in the new uniforms. In a movie, if they're going to have people just randomly changing their uniforms, for the people that, you know, a, a movie should be more accessible. It should be a standalone adventure thing. And they could have, like, thrown in at least a single line of dialogue, like, oh, hey, the I, new uniforms are coming in, or something. So I don't you, don't, you don't feel like First Contact did that, with assuming that you know who the Borg are? That's a, that's a no, pretty I think big they leap to take as well. established the Borg well in there. I think they... Um, used Picard's opening dream sequence to just show his past with them and a basic mm-hmm. idea of what they do. I think the opening um, uh, scene where he talks to Admiral Huzitz was, mm. you know, set up the whole thing, and then they go there and the Borg are shooting up the place. I think that because they, they changed the Borg to make them more filmic. More uh, they changed yeah. the look at them, they turned them into... Uh, they turn them into va- they turn them into vampires by having them uh, shoot uh, their little needles into people's necks. Yeah, and they got a queen for some reason because yep. you yeah. know she was there the whole time. Yeah, but they altered them to be, um, what should we call it? To 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 be like more of like a film based villain. I suppose so. And they is I everywhere. Know, I don't... I'm I'm not sure I agree with your with your thing that uh, someone seeing this movie cold would be confused because they keep changing shirts. I just don't think that would matter all that I much. I feel like if I watched a sci-fi movie and everybody started like if I was watching you know just some random thing and everybody started wearing one kind of outfit and then half of them switched into other kinds of outfits, especially if they're specifically supposed to be uniforms, which you think everybody dresses the same in. You would think yeah. I would be sitting there in the theater watching this and going like. 
what the fuck did they change? What are these new uniforms yeah. supposed to be? Do these people have different jobs? Are they doing something else? That just that feels like such a small complaint to me. I mean, but I think like I say, it's the kind people... of thing that affects the risk. Because like I said, I don't, I don't dislike this movie. I don't think it's great, but I don't, uh, I don't hate it as much as popular wisdom hates it. But I'm just trying yeah, to. For th- some I'm... reason, there's this, there's this real overwhelming, you know, the well, it's the odd number. That's the odd number. I think, I think, yeah, I think, honestly, it's getting because it's the same reason people think the Star Trek three was terrible, but it was not. I no, mean, it wasn't, good. it wasn't great, but it was good. I thought it was great. Um, but... And right, I, but Matt, okay, Matt, yeah, let's, Matt, let's 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 hear your thoughts on this. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of small and uh, in slow. What way? And like, I don't, you know, it's just it, it feels like a movie that has the next gen crew and Captain Kirk, and it should be a, be about something bigger, and it's it's not. You know, it's just a lot of it just feels disappointing. My dog I'm... agrees with me. <laughs> Butler. It was the dog. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. How could it have been bigger, though? Like, well, they could have gotten the rest. They could have gotten Bones and Spock for one thing. Well, okay. That's, so, really, that's it. You don't like this movie because they didn't get Bones and Spock. I don't like this movie because it was sold to me as a uh, uh, Star Trek TNG crossover, and it definitely is not that. It's a TNG movie with a cameo. That I is. I would say Kirk has more true. than a cameo. I, not much more than a cameo. Yeah. It, it opens he's, he's the first only 20 life. minutes are about him. That that sequence on the Enterprise B lasts a long time. Yeah. Like, he's in he's in the first 20 minutes, and then he's in the whole third act. The thing is, it's not a bad movie. Okay. It's just not a, it's just not a very remarkable movie. Yeah, no, I know? think... I, I, and I, it looks cheap. It looks really cheap. See, I disagree. I, I think it looks good. I think seeing all that stuff we saw on TV for seven years on the screen looked good. Yeah. I liked it. Um, so I did. No, it feels like they took... All of the TV stuff, and just you know, turn the lights out so that you wouldn't notice that it was TV stuff. Yeah, the right. um, a lot of the, the, uh, the ready room, a lot of the uh, computer effects look good. Like the uh, the Enterprise, the Nexus B itself, charging at the ne- the Nexus is really cool. Mm-hmm. That's really um, good. That, that was a, that was in computer actually. That was a miniature. Yeah. The Bird of Prey um, is all stock footage, so I mean, yeah, that's all re- as recycled. Good as it looks back in the eighties, but uh, the right. uh, the Enterprise D uh, saucer crashing that was also all miniature. Yeah, that was that was cool. That, that was a great sequence. That looks fantastic. The, the destruction yeah. of the Enterprise is real. Is a really cool sequence. Yeah, that's big. You're talking about it. It wasn't big enough. They fucking blew up the ship. Yeah, but they blew it up because of the stupid shitty Klingons ah. that we hate. That's for. I don't hate them. I just don't think they're that big. I thanks certainly don't think the, they need uh, to be villains in a movie. Thanks to the inflated budget, uh, Lurse's boobs are the same color as her face now. Well, so that's so that's, a, so that's why they couldn't afford uniforms for everyone. Yes. Well, they knew where people's attention would go. Yeah. And didn't mm. didn't only one of them have a boot window last time? They no, both had them this time. Y- yeah, they realized what they were missing. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. This, is yeah, like was, this movie needs more Klingon boobs. She was pregnant at the time, and now she's not anymore, I guess. Yep. I hope so, because she blew up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so let's talk about the actual Nexus, which on paper is the stupidest thing and I should hate it and for some reason I don't. Yeah, I don't the, the Nexus I don't really understand why. It feels like such a Braga y thing that it should it be It really does. Like it's a magic beam that flies around in space and blows up ships, but if it blows up your ship and you happen to not die for some reason, you'll go to a magical place full of candy and chocolate and you'll chocolate is a type of candy. Get to and it'll turn out that all you really wanted all along was a house. And candied chocolates. See now, I wonder. I wonder if everyone dreams about that. Or I wonder what like Guinan saw in there. I wonder what Soren saw. Yeah, Guinan got to dream about riding on a carousel. Well, that's true. <laughs> on, on the unicorn, she got to ride the unicorn. Which Picard had in his house for some reason. Was everybody's always freaking riding horses? Yeah. Was it Soren's whole deal that his wife and kid were dead, and he wanted to go back to the Nexus because they were there? Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I wonder if we saw his Nexus. If it was just a Victorian Christmas with the Malcolm McDowell family. Well, no, it would be a DeLorean Christmas with Malcolm McDowell family. Oh, of course. Yeah. I just, it it's so stupid, but for some reason it worked for me. I don't know why. Yeah. It's every now and then a Braga idea hits me like that, where it's, this is really retarded and yet I don't hate it. That was one of those weird things that I remember watching when I was a kid and just accepting it. Oh yeah, of course there's a thing that makes you, that takes you to the Victorian era. Why well, yeah, I accepted a lot about this when uh, when I was yeah. watching it the first time. That 
that See, all makes I was, sense. Uh, I was 20 years old when this movie came out, and I was, like, super excited. I'd just really gotten into Next Gen. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed it was off the air. Got to see the movie, and I, I really liked it then, and I like it now. I mean, again, let's put it in the context of none of the Next Gen movies were amazing. I'd say on a scale of 1 to 10, it was a 6 or a 7. Just as Next Gen movies go, I think it was better than any of the others. And this is probably a seven, and uh, first contact is probably a six, and that's that's really the distinction that we're arguing here. No, no, this, this was which, this was which, seven. Which first one? contact was eight, and then insurrection no was nine, and nemesis was ten, and then they oh, rebooted right. the franchise. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Except somehow they were all odd numbered. <laughs> yeah, somehow. I don't know how that happened. No, I don't know. Like I say, the, the really the debate between which of these is better comes down to which one was slightly less mediocre than the other. Because, you know, even though you say First Contact is a better movie, I'm sure you'll agree, it still had a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. And that's that's my yeah. whole point, is this movie had a lot of problems, I was willing to overlook them. That one had a lot of problems, and I wasn't for some reason. That's that's really what it comes down to for me. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. Like I said, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed watching it, and I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. I watched the, uh, the Blu-ray, and... Uh, a lot of I the stuff I thought looked good in, know, in HD. As I said at the beginning, I was I haven't seen this in years, and and when I signed on to do this, when I was fully expecting to, I don't know, just because of like the hype that it's gotten from <laughs> the internet, I was expecting to hate it. Uh, I was expecting to go like, oh god, why did I ever like this? Because well, the common yeah, wisdom but... is that it's so bad. No, I I I still enjoyed myself. It's fine. Is yeah, the thing. Yeah, but I mean, that's the best that's, I can say about it. It's it's fine. fine. It's as it fine as really Malcolm McDowell's wispy white hair. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful wispy white hair. <laughs> I think people's, sexy, I think overall, hair. people's big disappointment was Kirk's death. Yeah. Which really, if you have to show Kirk's death, it's always going to be a disappointment no matter what. Because how is that possibly going to live up to this guy who's cheated death a hundred million times? Well, I know that in the original version, he stopped Malcolm McDowell and Malcolm McDowell shot him in the back. Yeah, that's actually on the Blu-ray. I was surprised I'd never seen that before. Mm. That uh, and, the whole um, sequence it plays out effectively the same, except he gets shot in the back. I feel like I would like that a lot more than his takes a crazy ass bridge sled ride off a uh, mountain and then a bridge I, the, falls on the, him. The, the the scene where the bridge flips and he's hanging on for it for de- onto it for dear life is unintentionally hilarious. It is really, really? excellent. I watched that they, and all I um, can think is do a flip. <laughs> there's there's two moments. There's that, and then there's where Soren falls off the uh, thing, and he's holding onto a bungee cord, and he bungees up and smacks his head on a rock. Yep, yep. like so much wily e. coyote. <laughs> that uh, and both of those were done with dummies, so they they weren't like moving at all. Well, and the thing those is, those were HD, both accidentally funny. In HD, you don't get that like, oh god, look, that's a dummy. You can see the axes for his eyes. Yep. Like it's you know, it still looks pretty okay. I think. No, yeah, no. I mean, they they looked fine. There's a, a few scenes where. It had to be Patrick Stewart's stunt double because I can't imagine Patrick Stewart sure. would roll down the know, side of a mountain. He was pretty big on doing action stuff. Yeah, I could see that him still doing that. He, I mean, he really just falls off some rocks a lot. Yeah, and there's there's let's let's not uh, let's not mince words. There's a lot of old man fighting. Yeah, this is the movie that climaxes with two old men fighting and then three old men fighting. Yeah, no, yeah, this but... isn't working. I need another old man. <laughs> but but two of those old men are sexy. That's uh... true. Okay, I had to think for a minute. Okay, you're not tricking me into thinking Shatner's sexy. No, 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 Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Shatner looks like a rotted leather pillow in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed he was wearing his vest the whole time because it's got those little black side panels that minimize his gut. Yep. (laughs) Sorry, I'm still... That was good, I like that. A a rotten leather pillow. A rotted leather pillow. Where are you getting leather pillows from? His face. (laughs) Um, but no, because uh, Malcolm McDowell was, uh, like, 50, uh, or, like, 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 in his, like, late 40s when this was right. made. And then really? Patrick, late 40s? Uh, well, he's 70 now, so, and this so, yeah, was, what, 95? Like, well, if we say roughly 20 years ago, then, yeah, he was yeah. about 50, Patrick Stewart would have been, like, 52 or 53, mm. and, uh, Just... Shatner would have been in his early 60s. That's just, I mean, we looked this up, and and you're right. It's just, it's really hard for me to believe that Patrick Stewart was in his 40s well, when Next Gen started. Patrick yeah, Stewart, was... we've talked about this before, Patrick Stewart has been that, it was born looking like that. Yeah, I know. Most, most people, very most people I mean, he involved. still looks pretty much like that now, and he's like, what, eight, 70? 72. Yeah, he's, 72. He's getting up there. 
73. Yeah. He's got a he's got a new wife and everything. Yeah. It's only oh, yeah. I, I, I only really ball noticed ball. in <laughs> uh, the new Wolverine movie when he shows up that he looks oh, yeah. uh you know, he's looking a little uh old. old. A little 73? Yeah. I like mm. when they they use the fancy technology on him and uh, Ian McKellen in the beginning of X-Men 3 to make them look younger and it wasn't hugely noticeable in his no. case. No. But then when he stepped out of the helicopter at the end of the first terrible Wolverine movie, there's and only they been tried... one Wolverine movie, Brian. <laughs> but they tried to use the same technology on him, but they had like an eighth of the budget, so it looks like this terrible, waxy computer model of Patrick Stewart. Well, I mean, that... the computer effects in that and that was thinking, Wolverine movie you know what? very good. They could they could have basically just used Patrick Stewart. We've been like, oh yeah, it's Patrick Stewart. It's not yeah. like they remembered that movie took place in the past for most of it anyway. Yeah. No one cares. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, as far as I know, there's only one Wolverine movie, and I haven't actually seen it yeah. yet. So uh, I know Silver Samurai was in it. That's it got to be fun. So there's it was. That. It was pretty good. Speaking uh, of so pretty good Wolverine movies, podcast. what else do we have on here? Yeah, why not? Why not talk about the movie that we're supposed to be talking? Why about? Why not talk about other movies that are pretty good? Yes, <laughs> I, I kind of like the first two. We could do the largely inoffensive but not overwhelmingly great podcast. <laughs> I, I think I would listen to that podcast. I probably would. There's all these podcasts that are reviewing bad movies. Why don't one that just reviews movies that Mediocre are mediocre movies? Space, movies that were pretty movies good. Movies that are basically all right. Largely inoffensive. Like cars. Your title? Um, or, uh, so, you know. so here's a thought. All right. Soren's name. First of all, Soren's name is the same as Soren, the uh, androgynous chick that uh, that Riker had a thing for. Right. Her name was also Soren. Soren's but here? Put, oh, wait. Oh, man. It's a, you know what? That still hit it. <laughs> <laughs> but putting that aside, he had a first name, Tolian Soren. Yep. So oh, yeah, he did. Does that, mean, does that mean Guinan has a first name and we've just never heard it? Yes. It's Pete. It's Tolian. Pete Guinan. Yeah. <laughs> Every Eloran's first name is Tolian. Tolian. Guinan's first uh, name is Toblerone. <laughs> I got another note here that uh, Picard was all upset that Rene and Robert were dead because they were going to go to San Francisco next month because of course they were because it's the only place on Earth. Yeah, apparently the show was going to film that. Yeah. You see, Rene, this is what the rest of the world lives like. <laughs> Holy we have crap, a vineyard this stuff and we is have awesome! San Francisco. Oh, fuck, fuck you and your farm, old man! <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go hang out with my new best friend, Alexander. <laughs> Father! I'm a warrior! Ho <laughs> <laughs> ho! Uh, that's pretty much all I got. I'm, and then my notes say, old man fight, old man fight again. Yep. So oh, and Kirk called that. Picard a dillweed. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Get it. Uh, classic. The look, right. uh, um, the, the, the look Worf gives when he falls into the water reminded me very much of Biff Tannen. <laughs> Data found Spot at the end. That was his big emotional oh, moment. Oh shit, yeah. That happened. I was reading on uh, Memory Alpha, um... Turns out Brent Spiner fucking hates cats. That's hilarious. And he had a real problem with this. He's like, I don't want my big emotional scene to be with the cat. Can't I find Jordy or something? <laughs> Jordy being tortured again. Well, yes, actually, in a we barrel. don't see, in that last scene, we don't see Worf or Crusher or Jordy. So I think we can just assume they're all dead. Worf had already snuck off. He was worried they were going to blame the Enterprise crashing on him for some reason. <laughs> he was hiding on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> Oh, Worf, it's good that's... to see you on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I had to clear out, man. Just that's gonna why hang when out he here for He's like, shit, you weren't there. We're... No, you've been oh, here already. Right. Okay, that's fine. And he left Alexander, which explains where that guy went. Yeah. Um. So... What else? Jordy gets uh, naked and tortured again. Yeah, yeah. I was a little, uh, little uncomfortable by the guy who played Roots, uh, shamed yeah, up with no shirt on, getting tortured. Yeah, that wasn't so great. Uh, it, it, nice right. to see you. The whole nice to see you again, Jordy Toby. Felt sort of <laughs> oh, pasted yeah. in there. See, get it? See, I liked you know, that the uh, I, Soren had a line in that scene that I liked a lot when he said, "Why don't you just get ocular implants? Be more normal." And Jordy right. says, "What's normal?" And Soren goes, "Normal is what everyone else is, and you are not." And the first time I saw that, I thought he was just being a dick to Jordy, and then I realized he was speaking in general terms and saying that nobody's normal. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, that's actually. That's a pretty good line. I don't think that's how he meant it at all. I think he was being a dick to Jordy. Yeah. You think it, well, that's the thing, but it could be applied, because that's true. You could say that to anybody who says what's horrible. Well, it's right. What and if you're torturing you them and you want to break their spirits a little bit, you mm -hmm. say stuff like that. Yeah, the, the so I think it was, it was a good generality, and it was a good specific thing also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liked it. 
the worst part is that it worked because next movie he goes off and gets ocular implants. Right. The worst like, part wow, is that they didn't even guy, have to, they didn't even that, have to torture him. No, that they didn't. evil that, that evil British guy had a really good idea. All they had to do was uh, shine that purple light on his visor. Yeah, and that was it. <laughs> yep, reactivate his whole thing. There's a scene I like at the early in the thing, by the way, where uh, Jordy uses a telescope on his visor. Oh yeah. No, there's a, there's a couple of good uh, fun visual gags on the holodeck thing there. That whole scene is fantastic. Yeah, it's really well done. Uh, Jordy and we didn't talk about that. Jordy in the opening scene. He's so excited to be He's there. He's so he really is yes, Worf. He does, like, like wow, this little, like, Xena cheer after work gets promoted. Yep. Dun, 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 dun. And he's the, fr- he's the one who starts the hip-hip. Hooray! And boy, does he start it. I've never seen anybody hip-hip with such enthusiasm. No, and yeah. I used to work at a Renaissance Fair. <laughs> Huzzah. Um, all right. Time to start wrapping things up. Any? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, that is true. Time is, this? after all, the fire in which we burn. Yep. No, no, no. Time <laughs> the fire in which we burn. <laughs> <laughs> The Predator has no teeth. It can't hurt you. The Predator has four teeth. You see it after he takes his mask off. And he's got a whole bunch of other teeth around him. Yeah. Alright, then. I'm pretty uh, sure we, so now we're talking about sure we can movie find that was kind of okay again. Al, quotes? Yes. Yes, let's do some quotes. That's... I thought maybe you guys had some things to say about this movie, but... Uh... Mm, that's oh, a, yeah, no, it was fine. It's fine. There's not a lot to say about it. This movie it's is fine. acceptable. Maybe that's why people don't like it, because it's basically just one of those equivalents of one of those episodes that we were just like, eh, it was I basically alright. I think, if this had been an episode, I think it would have been above average. I yes. think we just expect more from a movie. I yeah. think that's it. That's what I'm saying. We expect more filmic. We expect it to be higher stakes. We expect the actors to have more to do. Mm-hmm. It was just, yeah, it was, it was so. episode If Crusher doesn't do anything for a week on the show, then it's like, eh, Crusher didn't do anything. Week. Yeah, but if she doesn't do anything on the in the movie, it's like, well, why are you here then? If she, she barely has water, she got pushed in the water, and she uh, sent both Jordy and Data back to duty when they were clearly not fit for it. Okay, well then I will I will counter with this: mm-hmm. What the hell did Chekhov and Sulu do in most of the movies, or Uhura, or anyone who wasn't Kirk, Spock, and Bones? Uhura well, had all those. Figure that out. What movies? Uhura had all those Klingon books, oh, and uh, uh, yeah. pretty much all of them. Chekhov got to learn. Chekhov got to learn about the phasers in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, why not just vaporize them? Ah. Chekhov got to be a dumping ground for the worst lines. Whoa, 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 whoa. Guys, 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 guys. We don't have to talk about Chekhov ever again. That's true. Yeah. You get a little more Sulu, and you get some of the classic Klingons, and then that's it. Well, Chekhov will be in Trials and Tribulations, but I don't think very much. Oh, no, that's, that's true. That, oh, dang it. I thought there was no more uh, Chekhov. No, he'll be in there, yeah, but we, it'll be young Chekhov. One like, more. Not, not movie-era Chekhov. Almost out right. of the woods, guys. So, uh, quote-wise, I went with, uh, near the end, Patrick Stewart, or uh, Picard gives this great speech about how, you know, what we leave behind isn't important, it's how we've lived, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and Riker says this. What we leave behind is not as important as how we've lived. After all, number one, we're only mortal. Speak for yourself, sir. I plan to live forever. Which I like. It felt very Riker. It also yeah. felt very Kirk, it, it, which I thought was double ironic because Kirk had just croaked. I feel like they could have had um, Kirk say that line at any point in this movie, and it would have yeah. uh, fit in nicely. And, forever. and then, yeah. oh my. <laughs> oh my. Well, that's actually my uh, my quote here is, I've got this... Uh, is Kirk's dying uh, words. Yeah, Kirk's dying words. Here it is. Oh my. I'm pretty that's sure exactly that's how, how I remembered no, it. it. It was close. Well, that's I have an exactly alternate how I remember it. <laughs> All right, Matt, what about you? I got the uh, Picard convincing Kirk to come back. I think it's a really nice scene between the two of them. Who am I to argue with the captain of the Enterprise? What's the name of that planet? Viridian 3? Yes. I take it the odds are against us and the situation is grim. You could say that. You know, if Spock were here, he'd say that I was an irrational, illogical human being for taking on a mission like Sounds like fun. All right. That there's, is nice. there's unfortunately and... not very much good between them because there's not very much between them, period. No, but I think this is sort of the, the shining example. Yeah, it's the shining. It's yes. the shining time station. Yes. <laughs> how do we keep talking about Mr. Conductor? I don't know how that keeps coming He's up. He's a fascinating character. Apparently so. I mean, He's got know. a rich and complex history. <clears throat> yeah. All right, Brian. Well, uh, 
Always a pleasure. You, you you finished your Disney thing, didn't you? I finished my Disney thing for the reviews. Um, I'm doing this. Uh, it hasn't been that long since I was on here last, so I haven't yeah, got much uh, new to say. But yeah, I'm doing the uh, supplementals. I just posted the um, I've why well, I've already posted the best songs. I just posted the uh, the worst songs. Mm-hmm. Um, remarkably, the Aristocats uh, did not make the worst songs list. I actually said something nice about one of their songs in it. So. Whoa. There you go. You definitely have it out for that movie. Learning, I learning all kinds of things. Well, it's terrible. Um, right. So tell the people but, how to get to that. Uh, it's at allthedisneymovies.blogspot.com. Uh, the next thing I'll be posting is uh, the sexy ladies list, so that'll get me some traffic. And then the sexy guys list still time to... Uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell ever in a Disney movie? Oh, um, I hope so. <laughs> I'm trying to think now. I don't think, I don't, he, no, he I don't think so. He must have been. He, He's got I, such a distinctive I feel like, voice. I feel like he was in like... like one of the Pixar movies or something, but I can't think ah, of if he was in a uh, that could have been. Disney. Uh, <laughs> our email address, as ever, is postatomichorror at gmail. The website postatomichorror.com. As you hear this, uh, we are coming up on a convention appearance. If you are in Portland, Oregon, or anywhere near, uh, check out the Rose City Comic Con, uh, September twenty first and twenty second. We will be there. We will have a table. We are at table L O one, I believe. And uh, we'll be uh, we'll have the puppets. We'll be uh, handing stuff out, giving out free stuff, selling our episode guide. Should be a good time. So uh, look forward to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, next week, we, instead of uh, moving on to uh, uh, first contact, we're going to be doing uh, one of our supplementals because we're going we're to be a convention. But uh, then after that, we'll pick it up with the rest of the movies, and then on to Deep Space Nine. Yep. So look forward to that. All right, Matt, say it. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2013. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.